we need to first stop the bleeding. Find out what I'm talking about on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. I'm coming to you today on a beautiful, sunny, and warm Minnesota day. Uh, rumors have it it's going to be about 65 degrees here in central Minnesota uh, at the beginning of March. So this is a blessing for us, and we are enjoying it as we're watching uh, the very little remnants of snow that we have left melting away. But I don't have time to talk much about that because I really want to get back into uh, this important, sensitive, uh, critical topic uh, that, that I introduced last week. Of note, uh, this does have some adult content as we talk about sexuality, uh, and so parents, uh, please use your discretion uh, as far as younger children uh, listening to this. I would rate this probably PG-13, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, we uh, introduced this topic last week about the LGBT community. And, and I, I feel like uh, this came to the front, uh, certainly with the Biden administration and this issue of the Equality Act that was passed by the House uh, at the end of February and now is going before the Senate. But I felt like it was so important that we as a culture, as a Christian community, discuss sort of the, the uh, foundation of this topic and why it's even a topic to begin with here in this country and our society uh, before we even get into the cultural, societal, political aspects of what is happening in our country. And so today, I, last week, I sort of just gave sort of an intro uh, to my heart uh, and why I feel like understanding that this community has been uh, been injected with pain and trauma. That's what the statistics will show, uh, which is why we can't focus on behavior. We need to focus on what is happening in the hearts of people. And know that our behavior is often the outflow of what is happening internally. And I just want to dive deeper into this topic again this week. Uh, I have so much more to say about this. And I promise that I will get to some of the political societal points and, and how we need to be uncompromising in our position uh, from a societal and cultural standpoint. But we need to understand our position as ambassadors of heaven. And I, you hear me use that term so often because we are the representation. We are the mouthpiece of heaven. That's why we're here is to be his people here on this earth and operating in love and compassion. So last week I talked about, you know, the the prevalence, the staggering, sobering um, presence of sexual assault and abuse, not just uniquely to the United States, but certainly using U.S. statistics. And if even a small portion of this overwhelming group of 
uh, either emotional, verbal, sexual, physical abuse uh, that takes place on a daily basis here in our country, if just a small percentage, a small portion of those people would have gender, sexual identity confusion because of that, it could easily account for just the 4% prevalence of the LGBT community in our country. Now, I'm not saying that all LGBT people have been sexually abused. I can't prove that. But identity issues always stem from pain and hurt. I feel strongly about making that assumption, making that position. And when it's sexual or relational in nature, uh, it's not a big leap to think that problems and gender identity problems would come from sexual or relational pain. I think we can connect those dots. Why wouldn't we? Because we see that in all other areas of society in the ways that we act. I am currently, as of today and starting yesterday, studying for what's called a comprehensive advanced life support. It's a class that we take for certification for the emergency department that I work at. And so Thursday and Friday of this week, I will be doing uh, full day courses uh, uh, in regards to uh, dealing with anything that can come through the door in the emergency department. And I want to read to you directly from my manual that I just was reading yesterday, because I think this is so telling and, and um, apropos to what we are talking about today. It's called the initial survey, what you do when a patient it comes immediately into the emergency room and it actually talks about observing a 10 seconds of silence. Now, 10 seconds is not very long, but it's, it's sort of gathering yourself as a team leader. That would be me as the emergency room physician. 10 seconds of silence. I'm reading right out of my manual for the team leader to identify life threats needing immediate interventions. Examples they give is an obstructed airway, sucking chest wound, cardiac arrest, or uncontrolled external hemorrhage. These conditions must be corrected before proceeding with routine measures. I I feel like this podcast is sort of this 10 seconds of silence where we talk about uncontrolled bleeding. It needs our attention. Statistics are showing that the LGBT community uh, is hemorrhaging. There is pain and there is hurt. I shared last week, it's 100% in my experience. That's just my experience and it's my perspective. And I I can't say for certain that it's 100% across the board. But there there is obvious pain and hurt that leads to gender and sexual identity issues. And there, I feel like there is just this, this bleeding that we see. And I believe, as I mentioned just briefly last week, that the community, the, the response of the American people have been either the secular world's response, which is, hey, bleeding is normal. What you're feeling, this, this hemorrhaging that you're feeling, it's normal. Don't worry about it. Or the church's response, which is, this bleeding is messy. I don't really want to deal with this. And you should stop bleeding. (laughs) 
if I was your ER physician and you came in with uncontrolled hemorrhaging, and during my 10 seconds of silence, I conclude that your bleeding is normal or your bleeding is too messy and you should just stop bleeding. If those were my responses, I would not be an ER physician much longer. That's why I'm taking this this class. So hopefully I can approach this more appropriately. But this is exactly what I'm seeing right now in our world today. And especially in this regard to this specific community, this group of people, which is defined based on their behavior, which just blows my mind. It's not an identity, it's a behavior. And the behavior is the outflow of what's inside of them, which I'm submitting to you as pain. So let me prove this to you. So a U.S. government study, it was the Secretary's Task Force on Youth Suicide. It found that LGBT youth are four times more likely to to attempt suicide than other young people. Does this surprise us? Not, Not really, but it's a staggering statistic. Four times more likely. So in two, a study that just came out said that two in five, that's 40%, my friends, LGBTQ youth in the United States have seriously considered, quote unquote, suicide in the past year. A sobering survey just released showing what one expert called the devastating mental health consequences, now listen to this, of society's failure to create a safer and more affirming environment for America's queer youth, end quote. So we have a statistic that says 40% of this group, this, this group of youth only we're just talking about, have seriously considered suicide. And the secular world is trying to make heads or tails of this. And the only thing that they can come up with is that we haven't created a safer environment. Or in other words, we haven't normalized this enough. They are bleeding to the point where where two in five this year have considered killing themselves. And the response by the secular world is, well, we just haven't normalized their bleeding enough. (laughs) Further quote, if we take a step back and look at minority stress models that says that experiences of rejection, discrimination, and victimization are the primary causal mechanisms that cause this ideation, the suicidal ideation. Green said, adding that it's not who they are, but how they are treated. Interesting. It doesn't say how this Amy Green came up with that conclusion. That's just her opinion that it's it's rejection, discrimination, and victimization that causes the suicidality, not the fact that they're bleeding and in pain. That can't be it. It's how we respond to them. It's how we don't normalize it enough. Interesting. I don't completely disagree with her last statement, though, but not what you might think. It's how they are treated. It's interesting. Now, I'm not saying that rejection and discrimination and victimization don't add to the problem and cause hurt and pain. I'm not saying that. But we have to get to the causal piece because there's no way, Amy Green, (laughs) that you can tell me that if you removed all of those things, that this group of people would be mentally healthy. 
There's no studies that would prove that to be true. In fact, the studies are proving that this is a hurting community, period. A 2020 survey paints a stark picture of pervasive mental illness among, among Americans' lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer youth, with the majority reporting symptoms consistent with general anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. The survey, the largest of its kind, polled 40,000 LGBTQ people between the ages of 13 and 24, listen to this, and found that 68% of the respondents reported symptoms of general anxiety disorder. Now, general anxiety disorder isn't that, oh, I'm nervous or stressed. This is disorder means it affects daily life and living. It's a pervasive problem in your life that actually affects the way that you hold down a job, get up in the morning and get ready, the way that you interact with people socially. 68% reported symptoms of general anxiety disorder. 55% reported symptoms of major depressive disorder. This isn't, oh, I feel sad about life. This is major depressive disorder. And 48% reported engaging in self-harm. Half the people actually tried to hurt themselves. And in addition, as we mentioned above, 40% say they have seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. And again, Dr. Jack Turbin, fellow in child and adolescent psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine, says it highlights that our society has a long way to go to create a safer and more affirming environment for the LGBTQ youth. And he said in an email, we once again see the devastating mental health consequences of our failures. The survey also showed that interestingly, LGBTQ youth are not getting screened for the mental health issues they report. Well, why would they? Because it's normal. This is what these two specialists just got done saying. The problem isn't the problem. The problem is that we're just not accepting of them enough. We're not normalizing their bleeding enough. The risks associated with unmet mental health care needs are stark. And LGBTQ youth are at a higher risk for suicide. And the it's four times the risk of suicide. Four times. So let me repeat what Amy Green said. It's not who they are, but how they are being treated. How they are being treated. The statistics show they aren't being treated. It's, it's about how they are not being treated. It is the way that we look at bleeding or accept the bleeding that is the problem, they contend. Not the fact that they're bleeding. I believe, and I mentioned this last week, that normalizing pain could be one of the most cruel societal reactions ever. So is LGBT a mental illness? No, I believe it is an acquired coping mechanism that reduces pain from experiences, rejections, abuses, and trauma. Am I saying experiences, rejections, abuses, and traumas result in LGBT having mental illnesses? I'm not saying that. The statistics are saying that. Yes, clearly 
That is true. Isn't this just from societal pressures causing more rejection and pain? And the answer is yes and no. I believe that those pressures don't help and can cause hurt. But let's be clear. Even though there's been change in society, the approval of gay marriage, politicking that we're seeing taking place now, and Hollywood, all normalizing pain, it should make things better. The statistics should be improving. Are they? No, they're worsening. Why? It's because there's an increasing hopelessness about ever getting the bleeding to stop. My friends, this is the seriousness of the situation, is the world is turning their back on people who are bleeding, coming into their emergency room, and their response, their 10 seconds of silence, is telling them, don't worry about the bleeding, it's normal. Statistics and what we're seeing in this world is telling us it's not normal, it's painful, There's hurt. And these people, this community, is not getting the response that they need to help them with their pain. So what about the church community? The church community says it's bleeding is too messy, that they should just stop bleeding. Well, I want to tell you about Jesus because in order for us to react as a church community, We need to look at what Jesus would do. I heard it say that Jesus is perfect theology. So let's talk about how he responded. Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Hmm. Hmm. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. This is Luke chapter 5. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, right after this, he said, It is not healthy who need a doctor. But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. People who are bleeding need a doctor. (laughs) They need someone who can stop the bleeding. And Jesus came to deal with people who were bleeding and lead them to repentance. I've talked so much about repentance. It's a great word. Repentance doesn't Repentance isn't something you repent from, it's something you repent to. It's a higher way of thinking. It's a cultural word. It's a higher way. So Jesus approaches sinners. He stops the bleeding and leads them to a higher way. It says in Matthew 23, For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Hmm. They never lift a finger to actually stop the bleeding, put pressure on the wound. 
And of course, here's a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's actually caught in sexual sin. And Jesus goes to her and he's caught, she's caught in the very act. She's probably naked. She's pulled out. And they said to her, she was caught in the act of adultery. They, Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And he said, you know, those without sin cast the first stone. And he, he stoops down to her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Do not even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus operated without condemnation, but he also operated without compromise. Why was she in sexual sin? Because of pain. She was hurting. And she was messy. The whole situation was messy. But Jesus went to her. He went to her. He stopped the bleeding. He restored her. He called it sin, but he didn't condemn her. We as the church, we don't need to compromise. In fact, I think it's laughable if you go on Google, there are so many attempts to reinterpret the Bible about homosexuality. I don't have time to go in all that, 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 but let me be very clear. The Bible is very clear. We don't need to alter scripture. We don't need to put those who are bleeding into leadership either. We can have common sense about this and understand that people are hurting But when you go to the Bible and read about homosexuality, it seems to always be lumped in with other problems of identity and pain, equal even to the heterosexual, (laughs) and including premarital sex. Premarital sex also takes place because of pain. People who are heterosexual and live a promiscuous lifestyle, it's because of pain. They're looking for identity. The Bible says that even if We look upon somebody with lust in our hearts. We've already committed adultery with them in our hearts. We are that woman that was sitting before Jesus, naked, ashamed, guilty. But what is our answer as the church? It's to go to them, to be an advocate for them, to not condemn them, and to not compromise the truth. We need to stop the bleeding. We need to call for repentance and lead them into a higher way of thinking. Kathy from Minnesota just emailed me a beautiful letter. Let me just give you some excerpts. She said, I just finished listening to the podcast about gender identity. It was excellent. Thank you for your perspective. Then she shared a story about a practicing homosexual who was actually invited to church. She was preached the gospel, and they just loved her. And she gave her life to Christ, and everything changed. Kathy goes on to say, we have been talking together a lot about our presentation of the gospel, asking ourselves questions like, have we been serving Christ so many years that we have become legalistic in our presentation? Pharisaical, not remembering how long Jesus has dealt with us about our issues. And then the expectation that others should change overnight. Oh, Jesus, help us to have hearts of compassion. She says, thank you for not only speaking truth, but sharing perspective. Thank you, Kathy, for being so vulnerable in that letter. It makes me cry because it's so precious, because that's the heart of Jesus right there. I remember a story of a young man listening to a podcast similar to what I'm doing today, and, and he was in the homosexual lifestyle. And what changed is that he, was in, he and his partner were invited over to dinner with their neighbor. 
It reminds me of Luke 15, 1 through 2. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He was transformed by a loving relationship of this neighbor. I remember him sharing, I'll never forget this. I remember him sharing, heterosexuality doesn't get you to heaven. (laughs) It's an encounter in the saving knowledge of Christ that does. My friends, the Holy Spirit is really good at what he does. Our role is to introduce the world to his transformational power. And please remember, and I've shared this so many times in in prior podcasts, the Bible says our battle is not with flesh and blood. People who are engaged in a homosexual lifestyle, they aren't the problem. It's the principalities and powers and the trauma and the pain that, that those principalities and powers have injected into their life that has brought change in behavior. And it's from that perspective that I want to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about the societal and political issues, this Equality Act, transgender issues that are coming to the forefront. All of these are at hand, but we can't approach them from a place of condemnation, but from a kingdom culture and an American culture perspective. What is best? We know that God's way is the best. What is the best for our country? What is the best way that we represent him on this earth? I look forward to talking to you more about this. And just like Kathy did, I would love to hear your perspective. Please send me an email, either agreeing or disagreeing, or your perspective on this important, sensitive, critical topic that is before us today. I want to hear your feedback. So let's go together this week to set and shape the culture.